Poised for Exit is a show for business owners who want to achieve a successful future exit based on their own terms. Your business exit will likely be the biggest financial transaction of your life. And for most, you'll have one shot at doing it right. The topics and guests we feature and the stories they share will provide valuable ideas and strategies to improve operations and grow enterprise value so you can achieve the best possible exit outcome. Now here's your host, Julie Keys. Welcome everyone to Poised for Exit, the podcast show for business owners. In this episode for Poised for Exit, we're going to be interviewing an author and investor and family business advisor about his work with family businesses and about his new book called Your Ownership Journey. We're going to hear from him right after we hear a word from our sponsors, Village Bank and Sunbelt Business Advisors. Are you looking for a bank that supports entrepreneurs? If you're searching for a bank to grow with you and your business, Village Bank would like to welcome you to their village. Village Bank is an entrepreneur's bank built by an entrepreneur for entrepreneurs. Village is ready to help businesses grow and make a community strong. If you want a bank that understands what it takes to build something special and puts relationships first, connect with Village. Follow Village Bank on Facebook and LinkedIn or visit www.villagebankonline.bank. Again, that's villagebankonline.bank. It takes a village to accomplish business goals. You wouldn't go deep sea fishing without a guide or skydive without an instructor. So don't sell your business without a broker. Now is a great time to sell a business. Many are selling at a premium. Contact a business broker at sunbeltminnesota.com or call Sunbelt Business Advisors at 612-455-0880 and get a free confidential business valuation so you'll know what your business might be worth. Because selling your business is the biggest financial decision you may ever make. There is a record number of buyers looking for businesses right now. It is a seller's market. You could list, sell, and get more for your business now and start the next successful chapter of your life. Call 612-455-0880 today or visit sunbeltminnesota.com. Minnesota's largest seller of companies. 612-455-0880, sunbeltminnesota.com. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here today with Bruce Werner, author, speaker, private equity investor, and Family Business Advisor. Bruce, welcome to Poised for Exit. Good morning. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, I believe that we met a couple years back when uh, we were at a, an event that our publisher, we have a right. publisher, yeah, an event that they sponsored, and, and there we were. So it, it's cool to be with another fellow Indie Books International author and love the work that they do. So I'm sure you enjoyed your experience there as much as I did. It's good to be part of the family. I was actually with Henry on uh, yesterday at an event he had. Um, it's been a good experience and a uh, good, good learning opportunity as well. Yeah, good experience and good people. Really good people. Good athletes. Great people. Like, like you and me. <laughs> well, so let's get started and um, just talk about how you got involved in the work that you're currently doing. I know that it was a process and you have had many experiences as an entrepreneur. So obviously we don't have time to share them all, but I'd like to hit on a couple of highlights. But before we do that, let's talk about your start. Sure. So the origin story, most simply, is I spent the first half of my career in a family business, third generation family business. 
uh, Warner Ladder is how most people would know us. Our industry changed and we as a family made the right decision at the right time for the right reason and sold the business. I thought I'd go get another job and be you know, another corporate guy and found out I was unemployable. Uh, as many people come out of family businesses, there's a lot of, lot of things about it, but you need to carve your own path. And so it's easy to say that looking backwards. I didn't understand that when I was going through it, but had an entrepreneurial streak, started a couple companies, was an investor, and over time, accumulate experiences that others found valuable. And that's how I came to do my current work of working with private and family company owners who have problems they don't know how to solve. Uh, and I act as a coach, a guide, a Sherpa to get them from point A to point B. Most private company owners know how to run their business. Um, but when there's something new they haven't seen before, they're a little bit like deer in headlights. And that's where I come in to help help them move forward. So when we talk about problems that they don't know how to solve, are you referring more to the family business side of the problems? There's, there's two sides. So there's the business issues and the family issues. Okay. Um, not all my clients are family businesses, but my work always starts with the business matter. And then I'll layer on family governance and consulting to the extent it's needed. Because at the end of the day, it's about the business. The business supports the family. We need to take care of that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So when we talk about the kind of people that you serve best, then would you say that family business is your niche? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, my entire life has been about family business. Um, and uh, it's kind of what I know and love. Um, for all the intricacies and nuances and, you know, exceptions, uh, it's a great place to play. Mm-hmm. Well, with all of your experience in being in family business yourself, you just know firsthand what kind of things come up and where sure. the sticky points are. I I guess I would have to um, echo that myself. I, I didn't come from really large family businesses like you did, but I definitely had family business on both sides of my family as I was growing up and going back two and three generations on both sides. So to hear stories at the dinner table about what was going on in either family business um, was kind of regular fodder for conversation. Yeah, you know? yeah. There's, there's- <laughs> You know, as I've traveled through life and have worked with people in all kinds of businesses, um, you kind of either get it or you don't in yeah. family business. And it's not a derogatory statement. It's either you you have that extra gene of like, okay, antennas up, we got stuff going on as compared to people who, are, who just don't have any of that exposure, just don't have the sensitivities of you, you need to ask an extra set of question. It's always a little more work. Mm-hmm. It takes a little more thought to be effective uh, and to make things cohesive. Yeah. Well, and making things cohesive can sometimes be the most difficult aspect, especially when you've got people who don't necessarily want to say how they really feel because they're afraid of ruining Thanksgiving, but in a sense, they already have. Well, so that's where family governance comes in. And yes. family governance is different from business governance. You know, business governance is we have a board of directors, a board of advisors, we have consultants. Um, that is kind of well-established thought. But family governance is how do we manage the family? The family, you know, if you know the three-circle model, yes. you're an owner, you're a family member, and you're an employee. 
-hmm. and there's overlap. And as I like to say, you have three hats. Which hat are you wearing when you say something or make a decision? Um, And family governance is about the ownership circle and the family circle. Uh, And what I always counsel is the family owns its business. It needs to tell the business what it expects for business performance and results and cash flow. And then the family has to educate its non-working members of, well, what do we own and what does it mean? And what should you as a non-employee expect from the business? Like some people think I should be getting big fat dividends when they don't appreciate the challenges of the business right. um, or they automatically get a job or all that stuff. Yes. That needs to be spelled out, but that's a family issue, not a business issue. Yes. And while it's uncomfortable, you got to get ahead of it because those issues don't go away on their own. No, they tend to fester. And then if there's entitlement um, allowed for certain people, then it's expected going on down, right? So, oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I lived that too. And so I understand kind of how that works. Unfortunately, it's not easy to unravel, but it can be done if there's good intention. And someone like you, who's actually there to quarterback the situation, right? Yeah. And, and certainly in, in the delicate family matters, as with many things in the business world, mm-hmm. um, sometimes it matter who delivers the news and the benefit of having a third party, whether it's me or anyone else is, you know, when they get mad at me, I go home. Yes. I'm not going to Thanksgiving. And I've done that a number of times and it's a, it's part of the job and that's fine. You don't take it personal, but um, you know, family members, typically the parents who's like, oh, I don't really want to talk to junior about his non-performance. So a real case study, I had a very dysfunctional family. The sons were stealing from the business and mom loved the sons. And so dad couldn't do anything. I had to go in and reposition the president who was had all of his in-laws on the payroll, even though they lived 2,000 miles away, wow. and he was stealing and all kind of other horrible stuff. And they said, oh, by the way, he started drinking again, and he carries a gun. Um, so that was a fun meeting. It worked out fine, and uh, you know they moved forward, but it was an interesting meeting. I bet it was. Yeah. And, and so when it comes to meetings like that, you might have to get uh, maybe a family business counselor involved sometimes, huh? Yeah. It's, you got to start with how do they communicate? Do they communicate or do they purposely not talk about the issues because it's too painful? Consider that a spectrum. And depending upon where you are on that spectrum, you may need more or less facilitation. I like to use the word facilitation because You need some grease between the gears to make things move. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, the parties have to resolve the issue. Mm -hmm. But a facilitator creates a safe forum for saying saying things they won't say on their own. Yes. And there's there's value to that. Oh, there's a ton of value to it. There's many times as a consultant when, you know, I'll just tell my clients, listen, I know this is a tough conversation for you to have, whatever the conversation is. Allow me to help you facilitate the conversation. And if it doesn't go well, throw me under the bus. Just blame me. It's okay. Absolutely. (laughs) You know, that is all right. That's what you're paying me for. That's what they pay you for. Exactly. Absolutely. So, okay. This, we talked a little bit about an aha moment that you had. Um, I know you said that you were in family business for a long time. Um, At what point were you inspired to to kind of go that path. It it seems like it's similar to my own from my own exit experience that didn't go well. 
well, it may have went okay, but it could have been so much better if I would have had the right advice. Yeah. So kind of the reasons why, you know, I got into exit planning was to help other people. So sounds like. Yeah. So my, my story is, is much simpler. Since I came out of the womb, all I wanted to do was be president of the Warner Company, uh, as did all my cousins oh. who wanted to. And there was a brief period after grad school when I said, ah, I'm not going to family business. You know, it's a bigger world than that. And I went out in the world and got kicked around a little bit and said, hey, maybe the family business isn't so bad after all. Um, and uh, when I was growing up, we were told you could not discuss the topic of selling the business. So to me, there were no conversations. There was no thought process. It wasn't until our world, our business world changed and to protect the family, we got into that conversation because as much as we love the business and it was our every fiber, it's an asset of the family. It's not a child. It's there to protect the family. So we went through an evolutionary process with a ton of facilitation, you know, numerous consultants that we found a shoe that fit. To deal with, you know, 110 shareholders and four dads and six sons in the boardroom. And it was the right decision. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, for the younger generation, when the family sells, they need to go on with their life. They're not going to retire. They need to figure out plan B. And that's what I did. So from your experience then through all of that, plus your work that you um that you facilitate and that you help uh, with business owners, family business owners. Let's talk about why import, uh, governance is important, um, boards of directors, family boards. You know, I know there's different types of organ, or, uh, groups within the family business that, that are sure. set up many times, especially with the larger ones. Let's talk about that. How does that work? So let's talk about business governance first. There is a plethora of data, maybe not statistically valid, but it sure keeps coming back to the same that. As businesses grow and evolve, they hit hurdles uh, in step functions. And what I see consistently is when businesses get to about 25 or $30 million, and typically it's one or two decision makers, um, they start to have scenarios where they say, I think I need help. I'm not sure how to deal with X, whether it's industry disruption, supply chain, we're trying to grow. I can go to my golf buggies and my friends, but I'm not getting the advice I need. That's when they first say, hmm, maybe I need to think about having a board. Yeah. Um, and between, say, 25 and 100 million of revenue, and those are broad benchmarks, not scientific, mm-hmm. owners start to, start to hit, start to have those questions, and they may dawdle, they may delay, they may bring in consultants, which is all fine, but they form, they bring in outside voices to give them guidance and advice. And it's not about control, it's about advice. As a private company, very few form fiduciary boards of directors with outsiders because they don't have to. And they certainly don't wanna give up control. There's not a need to, but they need to bring those voices into the inner sanctum for discussion. And that's why most do a board of advisors. If they evolve and there's a change of generations and the kids have their own careers and don't wanna run the business, Mm -hmm. then they'll probably have a fiduciary board to protect the family because they have professional managers in it, which is what corporate America is. And so I paint that as a spectrum of need. And, you know, your listeners should think about, well, where am I on that spectrum? What makes sense for me? A board is a bespoke suit. 
it's just for one client. It has to fit for that one client. And having been on a dozen of boards, each one is different for good reason. You should learn what others did, but customize it to exactly your circumstance. And that's on the business side, on the family side. We spoke about family governance, mm-hmm. whether you know, there's a family council, which is typically about you know, educating the family about what the business is. Excuse me, a family assembly, which includes the non, all family members, um, which is a kind of a, an annual education retreat. Make sure the cousins get to know each other, you know, build some bonds. And then the family council is a vehicle for the ownership to tell the business what they want. So someone has to communicate to the fiduciary board and management of, here's the kind of growth we want. Here's how much risk we'll take. Are we willing to take an outside capital? All that kind of stuff so that the people who run the business have marching orders. And marching orders are important because otherwise it's kind of the wild west, right? And that is typically when the trouble happens. I know. As owners, you have a job. There's only three or four decisions you need to make, but you need to be very clear. You know, how are you going to cap, you know, what business are we in? How are you going to capitalize the business? Who's running it? And what do you expect from it? If you don't state that clearly to the people running the business, usually doesn't end up where you want it to in some flavor. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as owners, separate from what your job is, you need to make sure you take care of that. And you just recently published your book. We haven't talked about that, but let's go there now. Um, sure. How are you using your book? Is this something that's, is it part of a, the curriculum of your of your engagements or, or what, what are you using it for? Yeah. So when I started consulting 20 years ago, my friend said, you got to write a book. Consultants have to write a book. And I said, hey, it's too much work. And I don't have anything to say. <laughs> 15, or 20, 15 years later, I started having something to say. I started writing columns in Forbes and other places. And one day I said, hmm, you've got lots of material. And I kind of looked at it and said, well, there's a story here. And it's the different phases of owning a business and the challenges you have, and hence the ownership journey. Now, your book, Poise for Exit, which is great, is chapters 11 and 12 of my book, but expanded. And so those two books tie together pretty nicely. So I took my experiences and said, as an owner, not as a CEO, as an owner, Here's the challenges you're going to face. Here's advice for each step of the way. And what I say to clients and prospects is, if you find one good nugget in the book, it's a success. Because you are where you are in your journey, and the other chapters don't apply to you. So let's figure out the chapter that makes sense and do that. How I use it is certainly, uh, no, books are great marketing tools for consultants. We all know that. It's a high-priced business card, as some people say. You know, when you meet someone new, you're trying to build a relationship, you send them a book. It's a way of people saying, literally, this is what I know and how I think. Mm -hmm. And it's a way for you to determine if I might be able to help you. And if I can, great. And if I'm the wrong person, let's get you to the right person. Exactly. Because it's about fit. For me to be effective, it needs to, I need to have the right skills and experience for your need. And we need to get along. I agree 100%. I actually just had that conversation today with someone else. You know, everybody's different. Every business is different. And every, you know, set of needs and issues that a business has are different. And not every advisor can fit the bill for every single situation. So it is all about fit. You know, if we're starting a relationship, it's going to be a long one, usually. And we want it to be a good one, like you said. So I agree 100% with that. 
As far as the book goes, then, are you using that as a calling card for speaking? Are you doing some speaking too, Bruce? Yeah, so uh, I'm an approved Vistage speaker. I've spoken oh, at other other forums. Great. I've, um, you know, on my website, KonaAdvisors.com, is a list of a, a broad list of conferences and forums. I like to speak when it's fun, and to me, speaking is about having interaction with the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll show my bias to get up, speak to a room of people, and have no interaction just isn't a good way, good use of time. It's not fun. It's the dialogue and the back and forth, which enriches my life because you can make more money, but you can't make more time. And so I do look for speaking opportunities where there's interaction. So it's typically, you know, under 50 people in a room where you can kind of walk out around and uh, typically, you know, let me address a topic, put some meat on the bone. And then you tell me, What's on your mind? How can I help you? Because I want them to walk out with three things they can go do when they get home that makes their life better. That's my motivation. Totally. Much more rewarding for the person who's an attendee as well, because they're going to remember it. I think that anytime it's interactive, like you're talking about and sharing stories and having them interact, uh, it's always going to be retained a lot more and they'll be able to apply it. So much better than just sitting in a room with a talking head. Speaking and consulting to me is about having an impact. If mm-hmm. I can't change their lives for the better, then I should probably go do something else. Mm-hmm. So my first question is, how do we double your business if they're in growth mode? Mm-hmm. If obviously, if it's a turnaround or workout, you know, let's bring out the tourniquets and do what we got to do. But, you know, as we say in Chicago, make no small plans. And why do we say that in Chicago? Because Daniel Burnham was the architect of the city of Chicago after it burned down in 1871. And he put forth a a plan, which is actually the grid system of streets and buildings. And the, you know, Chicago is known as an architectural hub in the country. Uh, And he was the guy, Mm. was the, I'll say kind of the founding father of the architectural movement in Chicago. And the city loves to promote Daniel Burnham and his original plan. And that quote is well known if you're here. And obviously, if you're not Chicago centric, it's all marketing for the city, but that's fine. I like that though. Make no small plans. I love Chicago. I was actually just there last week. It's a beautiful city, just beautiful. So we've reached a point in the show now where I want to share just a couple of um, action items or bits of wisdom that um, our listeners can take and use right away, Bruce. So there's three things I always like to wrap up with because they apply to every situation of business ownership. One is you have to have clear goals, both for the business and as ownership. If you don't have a North Star, you're going to get lost. And as problem solving becomes harder, you need to prioritize and goals will do that. Second is focus on the process, not the events. When you're owning and running a business, It's about managing processes to get to the goal. You can easily be distracted, but if you have a sound process for how you gather information, make decisions, train your people, manage through, you're going to be better off. And the third one is when in doubt, get good advice. Instead of DIY? (laughs) DIY is good to a certain point, but you're better off having more opinions in the room and as you evaluate and sort through them, you can throw them out. Yes. But your decision-making will be better if you have more points of view. Living in an echo chamber is bad for your health. Yes, for sure, when it's only your voice. 
So what's the best way for our listeners to reach you? So the best way is through email, which is bruce at conaadvisors.com. My website, conaadvisors.com. My book website is brucewarner.com. Uh, you can reach me through all those avenues. Okay, well, we'll make sure and put those in the show notes and tag you. And thanks for being on the show today, Bruce. We really appreciate you sharing your wisdom. Thanks for having me. Good luck, everybody. All right. Thanks so much. And uh, for our listeners, you can subscribe and follow us on all the major platforms for for podcasts. The show is called Poised for Exit. The website is poisedforexit.com. Please join us again next time.